0: Okay, so you have a small business that you need to market, but you're not a marketer. So now what? Where do you start and what are you even supposed to do? Well, meet Engie. Engie is marketing software that simplifies marketing for small business owners. You can plan, organize, and get your marketing out the door and in front of your next customers fast. The best news? Engie is turning one on May 8th so, you can make marketing way more manageable for yourself for only $19 a month for your first year with the code BDAY. But don't wait, this offer ends on May 31st.
1: Pretty okay podcast. I am your host, Samantha Welker. And I am Taylor Holman. And it's another beautiful week in quarantine. <laughs> I'm back after a couple weeks off, you know, due to there being too many damn people in my house. But Steven is finally back to work this week. Praise Beyoncé. And uh Rocky has started in a teeny tiny, super safe preschool class. So I finally have my house back to myself. Fingers crossed that it lasts.
0: <laughs> I know. I can't imagine what it feels like to have that back and forth with work and childcare. That you know, as the the childless responsibility free adult in the room, um, yeah. I can't. I and also as the control freak, I would really really <laughs> yeah. struggle. With that. Yeah.
1: Well, I have to say the timing was pretty good because literally Steven went back to work yesterday and it was the first day of Rocky's preschool. So like they both left at the same time and they were both here at the same time. So at least I had Steven to kind of wrangle Rocky while I was working because, you know, not- nothing for me has changed work wise. If anything, our work levels increased. And so totally that that worked out thankfully. I know I was I was pretty fortunate for that cuz some of my friends like you know and even Taylor, my my glitter guide partner, she's got both kids at home and her husband at home and her husband's a teacher so she's like <laughs> oh man. <laughs> it's all a shit show. But I loved your episode last week. Thank Thanks. you for Taking us on that marketing journey.
0: <laughs> yeah. You know, um, I always love talking marketing jargon. I actually tried to not use a lot of marketing jargon, and I hope that I caught myself and defined things yeah. when I did.
1: So, I think it was very accessible.
0: Cool. That was one of the biggest pieces of feedback I got when I was student teaching, because I don't know if anyone knows this. You probably know this. But, you know, I went to grad school to become a community college professor. And one of the most impactful pieces of feedback that my master teacher gave me was, Taylor, so you're talking up here and these students are down here. So (laughs) if you're going to use those words, you have to define them. Otherwise, they don't know what the fuck you're talking about. (laughs)
1: <laughs> so no, I, carried with I me I can all of this
0: time later
1: yeah I can see that um but that's what happens when you're just a smarty pants <laughs>
0: <laughs> or you're just in the thick of grad school right and you're talking in the yeah. mo- like you're trying to outsmart all of the rest of your cohort when you're <laughs> in class so you use big words unnecessarily and then you're like in the
1: real world and no one cares about the big words right yeah I know um, but I, yeah, I think it was packed full of, of a lot of good nuggets and it made me really excited to dive into some of that like higher level marketing shit later down the road. Yeah. yeah. Um, how are you though? You're in Mammoth right now? I'm in Mammoth. We're back up here for two weeks. Um,
0: normally Ooh. the internet is baller up here, but it is throwing temper tantrums today. <laughs> so, um, but yeah. No, we'll do it, our best. Yes, we will do our best, but I love, we're very fortunate to have a, a place in the mountains where we can get away. And, you know, we, we duck out of work usually around four o'clock in the afternoon to go mountain bike ride and fingers nice. crossed, not eat shit, <laughs> you know, cause oh, that happens. No. it happens because
1: you're biking on an actual mountain, right?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yesterday we rode or we took the gondola up to the very top of Mammoth mountain. Which is mm-hmm. just shy of twelve thousand feet. Um, the base Fun. where you get on the ma- uh, on the gondola is about nine thousand feet, so hmm. you got to ride down three thousand. And up at the top, it was pretty windy, and there was one part where like the wind kind of like blew me a little more aggressively <laughs> than I wanted,
1: and I was like, "I'm gonna die!" Oh my god! I didn't.
0: I'm safe. I'm unscathed. Yeah. Cassie always is concerned about my well-being when I go mountain biking. So I'm okay, Cassie.
1: Add me to that list, Cassie. I I have a weird thing about mountains. Have I ever told you this? My Mm -hmm. my hiking phobia? No. (laughs) Like whenever I have like people, like my parents or whatever, like they like to go, they travel a lot. And I'm always like, cool, no hiking and no helicopters. Those are my two things. (laughs) Because for some reason, I have known a ridiculous amount of people who've died by falling off of a mountain while hiking, just like regular everyday hiking. And so it's like unnatural the amount of people that I know. And so it made me like, guys, there's no hiking allowed. Okay. You can hike on like flat trails and stuff, but like no mountains. And it's not even like, I mean, it's like my brother's college roommate hit, you know, somebody my dad used to play tennis with. It's not like anybody like my I'm really close to died falling off a mountain, but I don't like those odds. There's too many people. So yeah. now I'm like anti up mountains. So be careful on your bicycle. I
0: will. I will. <laughs> I'm like the the most chicken shit tomboy is the way I like to describe it. Like I do all the tomboy things, but I definitely don't want to get really hurt. So if I yeah. have any about things and then I just I'm like well I'm just gonna walk my bike through this section yeah Cool. you can make fun of me all you want but I will be in one piece at the end of the day
1: yeah I'm also a giant scaredy cat so like you know I probably have a more intense phobia of these things than normal people with less anxiety do <laughs> but that's where we are and even rocky I've right. I, I, He knows no hiking, no hiking on mountains. There you go. (laughs) Projecting my fears onto my child. A plus parenting. (laughs) All right. So today we're gonna wrap up our how to lose a business without losing your goddamn mind series. It's I feel like we've been in this for a while, but it's only because we took like a three month-long break in the middle of it due to, you know, the pandemic. (laughs) We we would have kept going, but Uh, the topic I'm, I'm actually excited about this topic because I feel like when I was consulting, this was just like one of my bread and butter things, which is all the random shit that comes with launching a business that no one told you about. And it's the stuff that you won't learn until it happens to you or you listen to this podcast and be a little proactive. (laughs) That's what we're going to dive into today. We're going to just kind of go through just a few of the things, you know, the 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 number is is pretty limitless of random shit that will <laughs> pop up when you're when you're in the thick of running a business. Um but I think we're going to cover like five of the most popular random things that that can pop up for you.
0: Yeah, and I mean, so the important thing to know here is that These things happen to most people who are running a business and if and when they do happen to you, don't feel like you're on an island and this is a unique experience. I mean, Mm -hmm. it will be a unique experience when you look at your particular life, but it's kind of par for the course when it comes to being a business owner. So the goal here in having this conversation about all the random shit that happens is so that you can hopefully maybe see it coming from farther away and then that way you can prepare for it when it does land on your doorstep.
1: (laughs) Yeah, for sure. It's like, you know, I, I sound like a broken record, but like I always say, it's better to be proactive rather than reactive. So these are things that when you're launching a business, they might not pop up in the beginning and like kind of those early stages, or maybe you're, you know, in the middle of your business, but you haven't encountered these yet. You, they're going to happen. They're, they're pretty, I would say kind of guaranteed, things. Nobody runs a business perfectly or smoothly 24-7. Shit happens to everyone. Okay. So I think the first one that we'll dive into and one that's definitely the most common is, and a great, it's actually a good problem to have, but is when you grow faster than expected and you can't keep up.
0: Yep. And I think this is something that if you are running a I think a product-based business is probably the hardest one to then mm-hmm. figure out how to scale up. Because if you are super smarty pants and you're starting a, a, a technology-based business, then you should be building your technology to scale. Right. If you're a service provider, you know, your calendar is just going to be full. Mm-hmm. And that's that's a good that's thing to, good <laughs> problem to have. Yeah. But when you have a physical product and now you have to think about Maybe finding new supply chains to, you know, complement what you already have established and, you know, increase the pace of your production schedules and then somehow figure out how to get orders packaged and out the door. That mm-hmm. can be kind of a cluster.
1: Yes, for sure. And, you know, I think a lot of the the previous episodes and the stuff we've talked about can help you kind of avoid these things, especially if you're launching a product-based business. I think about, um, oh, what are they called? They make the CBD gummies. Uh, Not Pot. Have you seen them? mm Okay. So their branding and their marketing is brilliant. It is so fun. It's basically like the gummy bear vitamins, but with CBD in them and they're called not pot. And so like they've had billboards that said not pot and like, (laughs) it's catchy, right? Like you, if you go and you look at their website, which I'll put it in the show notes or their Instagram, like they, they have really, really good marketing and really good branding. They've covered those bases very well. What they did not anticipate was being as popular as their branding and marketing made them out to be. (laughs) So they've had huge gaps and lulls in availability because of suppliers and this and that and the other and I think I mean I know speaking from personal experience I've lost I lost my interest (laughs) it was like I wanted to strike while the iron is hot and then I couldn't and the love affair is gone you know what I mean it's like it part of us as humans is that whole instant gratification thing where you're like, Oh shit, I just discovered this really cool brand. Uh, their price points are accessible. I love what they're about. They're marketing their values. i well, okay. I can't, I can't take part in it. I guess I'll go find something else. You know, it was kind of how I felt about it. And I think that's just a huge mistake that business owners make. And I say this all the time again, God, I just need more phrases. I say the same things over and over. (laughs) (laughs) But you have to launch your business with the assumption that it's going to be a huge success. Because otherwise, you're going to end up not being able to capitalize on all that hard work. So I think that not being able to grow and expand properly is, is very detrimental. While it's a good problem to have, you also need to just make sure that you have your bases covered.
0: Yeah. So this probably, I think one of the the quick fixes, quick in air quotes, right, <laughs> is making sure that you are overstocked in your inventory, right, mm-hmm. so that if you do get this influx of orders that you have product to send out. And mm-hmm. then the other piece that I think is important in order to work through this situation Is to have already had conversations with your suppliers and production facilities to understand what, you know, like, hey, if all of a sudden I really need to like rush production or something like that, or I need more material, what Mm -hmm. does that look like? What does it cost? All of those types of questions, just so that you're not dealing with the stress of feeling behind in fulfilling orders and then also trying to problem solve at the same time.
1: Yeah, I think that's a great piece of advice because that's the thing, too, where if you're reaching out to your supplier and you're like, shit, I need to rush this. And they're like, cool, it's 20 extra thousand dollars to get that product out the door. And you're like, well, fuck, I don't have that. So you're right. That's a great conversation to have up front. Um, I think another way, too, that people can kind of go about it if you are a product based business. Um, and you're maybe unsure about your supply chain and you just don't feel confident that it'll be consistent at the rate that you need it to be, you can reframe the way that you sell things to your audience. You know, there are a lot of people who do batch drops. And so that way people have it built in that they know, okay, this is special, it's limited, it's coming, like this is when it's going to be. And then that way it doesn't feel like all that marketing and branding and stuff that you're putting energy to is a waste when people go to your site and see that it's sold out, you know? So if it's not a consistent production schedule, you can reframe it that way. And I think that that's a good way too, to also build, you know, everybody loves the scarcity model. Mm -hmm. Um, It always, always does well for everyone. But if you ever do find yourself in that situation, I think that's a good way to kind of frame it.
0: Totally. Agreed. Cool. (laughs) Um, No one's ever going to deal with their business growing too fast
1: for them now. You're welcome, guys. (laughs) Um, But you also kind of touched on the supply chain stuff, which is another problem that people, you know, encounter quite frequently. And it's something that honestly, I'm not all that too familiar with because I don't deal with many supply chains. I just know friends who do and those issues that they run into and whatnot, especially right now because of of COVID. So do you have any thoughts kind of on on what do you do when your supply chain gets messed up?
0: Yeah. And I, you know, our supply chain at source is it's a it's one person who handles our materials and production. So we're very fortunate in that regard. And I'm on the same boat as you in this is that I've seen friends who have multiple suppliers for their products posting about, sorry, guys, like our order, like we don't have product right now because our supply chains are fucked up because of COVID. Like it's taking us an extra two to three weeks to get what we need to, you know, to even create things. So, um, and Natalie from native poppy is one of those people. She, had um, a specific color that was popular in her shop for her t-shirts that are amazing. I own like four of them (laughs) because I appreciate Natalie's weird sense of humor. Um, But she had this problem. And then Mm -hmm. another Sarah from often wander, she makes candles and, and um, she has Mm -hmm. all sorts of cool imported fabrics and beads that she turns into jewelry, but she, her wax supplier for her candles, like just kind of dried up. And when that's the main arm of your business, you're like, well, um, so what I saw from what they were putting out there was that they were in the process of trying to find secondary suppliers. So Mm -hmm. I think the way that you can avoid or hopefully lessen the blow in a situation like this is to already have those established relationships with your backup plan. Instead of, again, needing yeah. to all of a sudden scramble and find one when very likely you, your competition is also in the same boat. And now everyone is trying to find a new supplier all at the same time, which, yeah, you know, you want to be first in line for that yeah. situation. Um, not to get like freakishly competitive, but that's, you know, you got to go for the jugular on that one.
1: Well, no, I think that's a great point because especially right now, like in the middle of a pandemic, yeah, people are scrambling to figure out where they can get their shit made. And, uh, you know, it's all about who gets there the the first, who gets there the first. first. It's all about who gets there quickest. (laughs) If you're
0: not first, you're
1: last.
0: Yep. (laughs) If you're not first, you're last. Ricky Bobby.
1: (laughs) Ricky Bobby. (laughs) <laughs>
0: um, I mean, the other reason I think, I mean, supply chains are getting messed up just because of, I mean, travel restrictions, right? Like new tariffs yep. being set up. But I also would be interested, this is just um, a thought. I have no factual basis for this, no citations. So if, if you want one, I will try to find one. But I wouldn't be surprised <laughs> if part of this... Complication in the supply chain that some of our friends are experiencing is because new people are entering the space. You know, a lot of people mm. are sitting at home and have been sitting on these ideas to start businesses, and they're like, Well, shit, you know, I got nothing else to do. I might as well start yeah. this. So, your supply chain can get messed up because of increased demand. Because of things that are literally way outside of your control because it has to do with the federal government and mm-hmm. trade deals and all that sort of stuff. you know, or it can just be that something broke down in their their own process. So um, right, but this it, it, if I was someone who had a supply chain that was messed up, I would be stressing out personally. yeah because you kind yeah. of are not in
1: control. Yeah, and that's what sucks, too, is you're like, okay, I, I've i done all my shit. <laughs> like, it, it sucks to feel like you're not in control of your own product and your own business, but such is life sometimes when you work with suppliers. But, you know, like you said, getting those relationships, those backup relationships established, it, even just doing your research, like just making sure that you're not scrambling to find people who can fit your needs but already having that information kind of ready at hand is will, will make life a whole hell of a lot easier in the, the long run. Yeah. Um, okay. So let's go, let's talk now about more of the customer side of things, um, which are some things that people encounter that they don't really think about until it happens. And one of the shittiest ones is getting a negative review and, How do you respond? Because guess what? You will get a negative review in your business. I don't care how good it is. I don't care how perfect your product or your service is. Some Karen will give you a negative review.
0: (laughs) It's 100% going to happen. Um, You know, and I remember when I was working at a tech startup, how personal I used to take Mm -hmm like customer cancellations because it was a subscription-based product Mm -hmm. or, you know, feedback. And I mean, you're so wrapped up in your business, right? Like if someone says something not great about your business, baby, you're like, fuck you, (laughs) right? You
1: know,
0: but it is going to happen. It happens to everyone. Mm -hmm. And sometimes you are just the person that they are projecting other things onto right? Yeah. Like you're just the person in the room that's going to be on the receiving end of it. So when it comes to negative reviews, I actually just wrote a a piece for, for someone about this. And I think the most important thing to do is to respond and to respond quickly Mm -hmm. because ignoring it
1: Mm
0: kind of seems like you're guilty of it or that, you know, You agree with it, right? Not saying something Mm -hmm. is not great. Um, But when you reply, you cannot get defensive. It's not a good look. Mm Mm-mm. And I think after... So I know I said reply quickly, but if you need to take a second (laughs) and Mm -hmm. go scream into a pillow or whatever, (laughs) do that. Come back. And kick things off with just basically an apology. Even if you feel like an apology isn't warranted, this is an opportunity for you to show the world what kind of business owner you are and make a really strong impression. And I think how you reply to negative reviews gives a stronger impression of who you are than the way you reply to positive ones, right? Everyone loves getting their ego stroked, but yeah. So, so I think you apologize Even if Karen is being just spouting some crazy shit, right? They're essentially looking for some validation and for you to recognize that they feel a certain way. So you apologize, you recognize. And then if possible, I think that if they want to continue the conversation, you try to get them on the phone I know that that doesn't work for, for some business owners or business models, but that's my nightmare. I know. But the, you know what, getting, getting into like basically an, an
1: internet squabble is so lame. No, it is for sure. Um, I, I agree. I think, I, I don't know. I, because my, you know, I'm not a good person to talk about this because my first instinct is to fight everyone. <laughs> oh, me too. Me like you right here. <laughs> You're wrong, motherfucker. Um, but also, I know that's not a good look. Can you? Lucy is licking my elbow as I record. So if you hear dog right. panting, that's because my dog's literally a foot away from me. <laughs> um, <laughs> real life podcasting. Yep. <laughs> I mean, okay. So here's kind of a random example, right? Because I always, I tend to always look at Yelp before I go somewhere new. Right. And you know, of course we read the bad reviews more than we read the good ones because we want to know what's wrong with a place before we like patronize it. But I, there's this place by us that's called, um, extraordinary banana pudding. That's the name. Oh, I've heard and, of this place. Yeah. And it's really good. I've, I've been there. I've Bought my dad a bunch of pudding for his birthday because that's his jam. It's a black owned business. It's family owned, you know, so I'm stoked. It's like checking all the boxes for me. And then the other day on uh, my, you know, my favorite, the next door (laughs) app, which is my favorite place for people watching. (laughs) But somebody posted, they were talking about it and somebody posted screenshots of the owner's responses to negative reviews. And they were so Unprofessional and intense, and like, don't ever come back to my shop again, you know, like, so not the right way to handle these things that it put Mm -hmm. a bad taste in my mouth, even though I've been there and I like the product and I like the business. But seeing the way that he handled that made me feel like it made me question, like, oh, am I going to go back, you know? Yeah. So I think that's something we have to think about. Like, when you're responding to a negative review or a customer with a problem, you're not just responding to them. You are responding to your entire audience and your entire customer base and showing who you are, what your values are. And I think that that's something a lot of people don't take into consideration in the heat of the moment.
0: Yeah. I mean, you're, we all have multiple sides, parts, facets of our personalities Some we try to keep in, I mean, I know I have certain qualities that I try to keep in cages and only plow if I have to break the glass in case of emergencies. But, (laughs) you know, you just saw that second or another side of this business owner's personality and you're like, ooh, I Mm -hmm. don't ever want to be on the receiving end of that. But also, you know, we are, this is a point in time where I think a lot of people are choosing to shop and support certain shop with and support certain businesses because Mm -hmm. of the values behind them and the character traits. So, you know, when you, you, when you go out there and you, I mean, trust me, I I love a good fight and I will never back down from a good fight, (laughs) but not every fight is your fight. Words of wisdom yeah. from Dr. Corey: <laughs> Not every fight is your fight. And really, <laughs> in the end, what is it going to do if you unload your true emotional response on that negative review? It's really just going to hurt your business. So,
1: yeah,
0: um, you know, like, so when it comes to negative reviews, you just got to fucking suck it up. No. admit Wrongdoing, even if you... Provided the perfect product or service and move on.
1: Because there's always something to learn from it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean, don't just because their review is negative, don't dismiss it as incorrect. Like, look at what they're saying, see if there's any value to it. Like, don't be so closed minded to where you're like, oh, well, this person said a bad thing about my business. They're fucking wrong. Like, look at what they're saying, you know? take it into consideration. And I think that'll also help you kind of humanize them before you respond as well. Um, And if it's just like over email, you know, say it's just between the two of you and it's not on a social media feed or it's not on Yelp, just remember screenshots are a thing. So (laughs) don't think just because no one else can see it, that you're you're in the clear. Yeah. Yeah. No,
0: I definitely have a friend who I went to high school with who Notoriously keeps what he calls receipts of conversations he has with people on text email or social media because yeah, I mean the once you type that shit out, you cannot assume that it's not gonna make its way out onto the internet. So um one last thing about negative reviews, which this isn't totally negative reviews, but At SourceCo, people can cancel their subscriptions at any time. And we always ask, we we make it mandatory that they give us a reason for why Mm -hmm. they're canceling. And that's because we want to learn from Mm -hmm. what we maybe did wrong or could do better. So, um, you know, these negative reviews, like you said, really are an important piece of data Mm -hmm. for you to continually work toward closing the gaps and always striving to have outstanding customer service and a and product.
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, and I think that kind of leads into the next point we, we want to talk about, which is not just negative reviews, but high maintenance customers.
0: <laughs> which uh,
1: high maintenance customers are, I'm going to, I'm going to, th- you know, put my money where my mouth is here and say that they are the number one reason I say to be proactive rather than reactive because everyone who owns a business has dealt with a high-maintenance customer or will deal with a high-maintenance customer very early on because there are a lot of high-maintenance bitches out there. (laughs) It's just a fact of life. There are people who are not getting enough attention at home and need to take it out on someone's poor small business. (laughs) And you really don't realize how fucking entitled some humans are until you own a business because they think that if they're giving you money, no matter how little amount that money may be, that you have to do every single thing for them. And I think that high maintenance customers are incredibly time-consuming and expensive because, and I'll give an example of, of my friend, uh, Meryl, who's an angel. We love her more than we love anybody else in the world. And she has an incredible embroidery business, right? She, I hope she doesn't mind me telling this story. Sorry, Meryl. Um, (laughs) but she's been dealing with this customer for a few months now, who's having a baby who requested a custom commission and, There's been so much back and forth and so many revisions that it's now no longer profitable for her. And that's a huge thing that I think so many people encounter when they're doing, when they're launching their business. If it's product based, if it's service based, like, God, I can't tell you the high maintenance customers when I was consulting. Oh, my Lord. It's like they think they can text you at 2 a.m. with their business problems. It's like, no, bitch, boundaries. Yeah. (laughs) silencio
0: yeah this definitely when it comes to a service-based business you know everyone that i know that has a service-based business has experienced this where it's scope creep that's what it it shows up as um Mm -hmm. and so in this space if you're a service-based business your contract is so important a hundred percent Every, your grandma's signing a goddamn contract. Yes, she is. Everybody's signing a contract. And in that contract, it should be very clear how many drafts, how many revisions, how much time you're going to spend on each revision, right? So that you have yep. this legal document that they have signed that you can fall back on and it's kind of your stonewall. Yep. Super, super important because, yeah, I mean... Your your time as a service provider is really what you're making money off of, and as soon as you exceed the amount of time, you might you're burning cash,
1: yeah. and that, that emotionally sucks so bad. And that's when you get to say one of my favorite phrases per the contract, <laughs> because you're, <laughs> you're like, "Per my last email." <laughs> It's it's up there with it per the contract, per my last email. They all have that same like kind of undertone of, hey, we've talked about this before. (laughs) Here's what you agreed to. And it's legally in writing. Do not ask me to work for free because people will. And they might not even realize they're high maintenance. It just might be how they're wired and how they've always been their entire lives. It's not, I wouldn't look at a high maintenance client as someone who's like out to get you or like has trying to screw you over. I don't think it's that it's, it's honestly just the way some people are wired and it's up to you as the business owner to be proactive and to be in charge of setting your own boundaries ahead of time so that you're not trying to scramble and set them later. Cause it's really fucking hard to set boundaries after the fact. It's super, super hard.
0: Um, You know, when you're talking about the personality types of high-maintenance customers, Mm -hmm. I think that they tend to be pretty codependent people or indecisive people, Yeah, right? Where they just constantly need validation and answers because they can't come up with them on their own. I mean, if you have a technology-based business, you're definitely going to have people who just incessantly ask you questions. And if there's any sort of... Process that people need to go through in order to access your product.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: This is where things can get time-consuming, and you need to be proactive about having a pretty solid um, knowledge base. Is what a lot of tech companies call it, which is a fancy mm-hmm. phrase for FAQs and how-to's, right? So that can be your first kind of fallback on saving time with high-maintenance customers. Is you might not have a contract. To point them to, um, mm-hmm. but you probably have a terms of service, privacy policy, and frequently asked questions that you can point people to, as opposed yes. to custom typing out a personalized answer for everyone that has a GD question. Right. So that's what you should be doing in that space. I mean, in the product space, I don't really know if there's any way around it.
1: You just- no, I mean, especially if you're doing custom work or, you know, like people can only be so high maintenance when you're create, when you're mass producing something, you know, they can't really request changes or anything like that, but they can be high maintenance when it comes to support and questions. Yeah. And kind of, um, Jen from Noble carriage does a really beautiful job before her launches, I think of informing her customers. If you're not familiar Mm -hmm. with Jen um, Noble carriage. It's like, it's an organic kids online boutique, but she also has ventured into making her own products like jammies and stuff like that. And she just does so much work leading up to the launch of things that you just feel like, okay, I have all my information. I have all my bases covered. I got it. I know what I want. I get it. Um, And I think that that's something that is really helpful for kind of negating those high maintenance people because you, if they didn't watch it, you can refer them to, you know, your videos where you talked about the resources and, you know, where you found your materials and whatever the questions people have, because people are just bored. Mm -hmm. (laughs) People (laughs) are bored and they're lazy and so lazy. Oh my God. They're so lazy. Sorry. That's going to take me into my whole tangent about Google shit.
0: (laughs) yeah, Google it. Look at the FAQs, right? Like, you know, but that's that's also something that um I think businesses don't always do really well is making sure that the self-serve
1: mm-hmm. you know
0: knowledge base is easy to find access and, you know move through. Yeah. so you know, if you don't want to be dealing with incessant questions, then please make sure you know, maybe it even takes up real estate in the main menu of your website and you have an FAQ section or how to, you know, like yeah. if it's that important, then you should give it that that stature in the hierarchy of what you're putting on your website.
1: Yeah, for sure. And and one last point on this, um, we we need to set expectations for customers. So if you're a small business and say you own it, which I think a lot of the people that listen to this podcast are wearing a lot of hats, right? So you own the business, but you're also the only customer service person or something like that, or say you outsource your customer service, but it's only two days a week. Put those expectations on the website. Like here are the hours that our customer service will be available to you. These are the, or it's just me. Please expect a delay, you know, some kind of Proactive, God, that word, I'm going to get it tattooed on my forehead. Um, <laughs> either in your email signature, a pop up on your website, whatever. So someone doesn't send you like a customer service email and then get zero response for two days because they're just going to be pissed about it. But if you put those expectations out there, like, thank you for your, you know, thanks for your message. How many times have you gotten one of those? Thanks for your message. Our support team is available, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that way they can't be like, I emailed you two days ago and I haven't heard any response yet. Like, well, guess what, bitch? I gave you my expectations. I told you when I checked my email. Come on. Per my last email. Per that goddamn email. Um, all right. So let's talk about kind of the last point that we're going to cover today, which is say you decide you don't want to run your business anymore. What if you're done? What if you want to beat it, get an exit strategy and see you later, hit the road. That was a lot of metaphors in one sentence for. (laughs) Well, I mean, you know,
0: this is a, this is a big one. I mean, it's a super meaty topic. I mean, we could probably, I mean, this, this random shit is, I think, something that people don't publicly admit very often. Yeah. I don't think that they'll ask this question, like, because they're afraid that it is interpreted as them failing, not being good enough at it, you know, all of those negative connotations. And you can just decide that you don't want to do it anymore. It's totally fine. Yeah. Because running a business takes up so much time, energy, space, emotional capacity that it's not for everyone at every
1: phase of their life. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, when you launch a business, you also evolve and grow and you can just outgrow your own business. It is a possibility. It happens to many, many people. And it's there's nothing wrong with being like, you know what? I'm done with this venture. I'm moving on to this one. And I think of um, Jacqueline Johnson, who owns Create Mm. and Cultivate, And she had owned a completely separate business before she launched Create Cultivate. She sold that and then used that money to launch Create Cultivate, which is a huge success. And I think that's something, you know, not, I won't, I don't say it's a goal, like that everybody should launch their business with the goal of selling it, but you should at least launch your business with that as a possibility, that being an option, Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. You know, unless you're like, this is it. This is my dream job. This is where I want to be for the rest of my life. Things change and evolve and there is nothing wrong without growing it.
0: Yep. Yeah. And when it comes to like the types of exit strategies you can have for yourself, selling a business is always one of them. Um, mm-hmm. I think that's the one that is pretty glamorized nowadays. Sure. Especially, you know, if you're seeking outside investment and capital, it's like every, everybody's exit is to sell the business for a ridiculous amount of money. right? But, you know, another option that I think is viable for some people, if your goal is to have something that creates quote unquote passive income, which I hate mm-hmm. that phrase because there's no such thing as like truly passive income, everything takes work. But, you know, if you want, if you get to a point where you want to step back, then Mm -hmm. your exit strategy can then require hiring and building a team to keep the business running. And then you are like a silent partner at that point where you're not hands-on and involved in the the daily operations of the business. So there's different things that you can explore that don't always... Require shutting a business down, um, but it's a question that I have a couple friends who have software as a service SaaS companies that mm-hmm. were in a small mastermind, and one of the first questions they asked me was like, "What's your exit plan with Source?" And I was like, "There is none. Like <laughs> I want, like I want that business to be around." Um, mm-hmm. I can see it getting to a point where maybe I would step out and the business would be big enough to bring in other people to do some of the responsibility or take over some of the responsibilities I have. Yeah. But I don't ever want to sell that company. Yeah. Like, that's not. And if, if at some point it's not what the four of us want to do, um, we technically could just like leave the shop up. And not produce anything new. Right. And it could still maybe make money. But yeah, you just you need to think about the different combinations of options that you have. Yeah. And when you're done.
1: Yeah. And, you know, I will say that the best way to set yourself up for any of those options is to have documented processes in place for everything that you do. Because say you do decide to sell the business to someone or if you decide to hire a team, either way, they're gonna need to know how to do shit. And if you're the only one who has it in your head, it's not gonna be a very smooth transition. So you know start documenting that shit now while you're small um, and and make sure that it's readily available. should you need it? Should you decide that you're you need to step away from your business? Yep. Tapey, tapy tapy. <laughs> Document that shit. I'm just gonna call this episode proactive. <laughs> Is this where I insert my knowledge bomb drop? <laughs> Be proactive. Yes. Oh. Be proactive. Be proactive,
0: proactive about this random ass shit. shit.
1: <laughs> Be everything. <laughs>
0: Yeah, to literally be everything. Overprepared. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, I hope that everyone I know this episode was definitely like the most like Hodgepodge. I guess negative, right? Oh. <laughs> a lot of yeah. a lot of truth telling where like you're gonna have negative reviews and you're gonna have high maintenance customers and they're gonna yeah. piss you off. Yeah. Um, but I mean, I don't think that this stuff takes up even a few percentage points of my my time, right? This is like no. such a small piece of what it takes to run a business and get it off the ground. But because these are all kind of more emotionally emotionally charged or stressful situations, they can throw you off track pretty quickly. Yeah. And so that's why it's important to, to just talk about the shit.
1: Yeah, yeah. No, exactly. I think that's that's very well put because it nobody wants. To, nobody launches their business thinking about okay, who's gonna hate this? <laughs> <laughs> and then when it comes in, and you're like, ah, fuck. Like <laughs> now, what do I do? So I, it's just it's real life shit, guys. That's what we're here for. Um, yeah. And you know, it's the things that you just might not think about until they happen to you. My. <laughs> So, you know, we're in the middle of, uh, of working on launching or opening a new barber shop and, uh, we've been dealing with this landlord who I'm not a fan of his, he does not communicate and it drives me up the fucking wall. And Steven, my beautiful, wonderful, sweet husband is just not a business minded person, which is fine. He has me. So it doesn't bother him as much, you know, but one of the things I was telling him the other day, I was like because he, he finally was like, okay, yeah, I have an issue with this guy. And I said, you know, because this guy never wants to email. He wants to have, be on the phone for everything. And I'm like, cool. After that phone call, you send a follow-up email. So everything is in writing. I said, I always tell people to do that. And he's like, you'd never told me to do that. I'm like, well, you're not one of my consulting clients. I'm like, maybe you should listen to the podcast, Stephen. There's some good little yeah. nuggets on there. <laughs> so it's like that was one of those things where it's like oh I just assumed everybody knew that 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 was a thing to do but you know if you're new to business or whatever like there are just some things that you're not going to realize until they smack you in the face
0: yeah and I think one of the things that you and I have in common is that we're both pretty cynical (laughs) what me you know (laughs) I don't necessarily trust people. I mean, I do trust people. I don't. I do trust people. (laughs) But I also, please don't hate me, everyone, for saying this. This is just how I feel. And it's how I like, you know, protect myself, Mm -hmm. so to speak. Um, I trust people that they're going to do the right thing. But I also assume at some point they're going to fuck up or, and it's going to be my responsibility to clean it up. So having a paper trail is really important for those instances where you might be caught needing to clean up a mess that you didn't create Mm -hmm. or have evidence and receipts in order to make sure you're getting something that you were promised.
1: Yes. Yeah. And I don't think that's cynical. I think it is. Proactive. <laughs> proactive. Is, Can you know, okay podcast shirts that say, pro, proactive. say proactive. People are going to be like, what is that? Like the acne brand? <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, here's the thing. And I'll say this again until I'm blue in the face, but everything's different when money is involved. When people's livelihoods are at stake, when it is their money on the line it does not matter how good your relationship was prior, how much trust you had in that person prior. Money fucks everything up and it it can really create a shit storm if you are not proactively prepared for it. So that's just one of those things where if if money is exchanging hands and it truly is a business transaction, which is another conversation i had with steven this morning. <laughs> There needs to be a contract in place, or write- something in writing that you can use to cover your ass should you need to. Hopefully, you won't ever need to, but you will. Yeah,
0: I mean, <laughs> we. This is something I could definitely do a whole episode on because mm-hmm. I've had I've had this happen multiple times. I've lost friends, like, um, be- being in business with. I haven't lost friendship with anyone I am currently in business with. <laughs> just to make that clear. I'm still <laughs> friends with all of those people. Um, I'm talking about people that I am, that no one knows about. Yeah. But, I mean, it does like money. It, it is a, it changes the dynamic in ways that you cannot anticipate.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And so you just, you gotta assume that at some point, you don't even assume at some point it will create tension and conflict mm-hmm. yeah. between you and someone else, 100%. That is mm-hmm. unavoidable. And that's why processes and, and contracts and documentation is all super, super important. Because if if that person that you're having a conflict with, if the two of you have a good enough relationship that you can work through and past it, those documents will be what makes that successful.
1: Yeah, and I think an important thing to remember is that you can't see into the future, so you have no idea how your relationship with so and so is going to play out. You know, whether they're a family friend, spouse—I don't know. Like, get a contract Were with you your spouse.
0: spouse is hard. Yeah,
1: you is hard.
0: Are you technically a part of Stephen's barber business?
1: I am. Yeah, I'm a I'm yeah. a part owner of the LLC um, for tax purposes. Um, yeah, but I. You know, if if you have separate money, that's all I'm getting into. I'm I'm going down a tangent that we don't have time for. We, you know, we'll we should do, do an episode we'll do about
0: working with your spouse and friends yeah, because you and are. I have both done that a lot, yes. and it is it's a it's a huge, huge, huge conversation. Um, yeah. I mean, Dr. Corey lives on my shoulder because she's <laughs> she she had to get me through some dark days. Um, <laughs> so maybe that'll be. Maybe that'll be our next topic because we don't have a next topic lined up.
1: No, now we're back to talking about whatever the fuck we want to talk about and not yeah. stick into the series, although the series was great. I hope it was helpful for for everybody. Um, highly recommend listening to it from the beginning. If you haven't just and again, too, if doesn't matter where you are in your business, each episode is going to have nuggets and tips and stuff that will be useful to you at some point um in the process of of running your your business and you know this I think this was fun this the series yeah. um I was I had a good time going over some of the basics
0: <laughs> yeah
1: but I'm excited to get back into some some more singular deep dives into into topics as well so yeah um, it be fun yeah, as always, you know, if you are enjoying the podcast, feel free to give us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Um, we're also on Spotify and Instagram, and that's it. Those are the only platforms I have time for. <laughs> <laughs> I barely have time for those. Um, but we'll be back in a couple weeks with our next episode, a new topic. It'll be a surprise. <laughs> A proactive surprise. We'll start working on merch right now.
0: <laughs> it has to be like a reading rainbow, like the more you know, reading rainbow type look.
1: For sure. Right? A thousand percent. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you guys for listening. We appreciate you. We hope you're hanging in there <laughs> with all this crazy shit. Um, and we will be back in a couple of weeks. Talk to you soon. Bye.